welcome to the GVA Legal Podcast. My name is Jean Kambuni and I am your host. On today's episode, we'll talk about e-commerce. The use of e-commerce in Kenya has grown significantly over the last few years, especially during the COVID-19 pandemic. You can pay your taxes online, you can access government services online, and you can buy just about anything online. Our guest in studio today is a leading e-commerce consultant, Abigail Bundi. She is the CEO and founder of Amari Consulting Limited. Welcome, Abby. Thank you, Jean. Thank you so much. Let's jump right into it. What is e-commerce? To put it simply, e-commerce is the buying and selling of goods and services over the internet. I like to say that it's good old commerce, good old business done over the internet. Yeah, there's many definitions out there, but I'd like to simplify it that way. I'd like a simple definition. It just skips it to the essentials. It's yes. buying and selling goods on the internet. Do we have how much e-commerce happens in Kenya? Do we have any data, any statistics? Do we know how many people buy and sell goods on the internet? I mean, there's data out there, but not uh, very authoritative, I can say so. The, we have a big issue when it comes to data, especially in the e-commerce space. I feel like that's uh, an area that is really open to you know policy work to improve data collection, because also the e-commerce that we do here is not necessarily as per global standards, but there is some data out there in terms of e-commerce penetration. So when you talk about e-commerce penetration, it specifically um, refers to in terms of the data that is there, the percentage of total households in a specific area. So that's a market or region that have bought goods online at least once within the last 12 months. I don't know if you remember the last census, they actually asked that question. They asked, have you bought a good anything online, right? So that is the data that they're looking at. Um, in terms of uh, scope, what that means then is we are really limiting it to physical goods. In the definition, I said that it's buying of goods and services, but the data that is out there is specifically for physical goods via a digital channel to a private end user. So we are talking goods I have bought to B2C. Yeah, so not necessarily B2B. And this is specifically for data. So, and again, limited to purchases via desktop computers and uh, mobile devices, right? What this doesn't cover, which um, e-commerce still involves, is digital media. So when you download music, uh, download e-books, um, digital distributed services, when you buy a plane ticket, um, the B2B market, I know that we sell to other businesses as well online. Resale of goods, it's big, Gigi. We buy my, uh, my fridge and I resell or I sell my car online. I don't think we capture that data. So that's sort of like out of scope in the data. Sales between private persons, just like I've said, um, I want to resell my laptop. I say, Gene, I'm selling it. You buy it. You know, I will put it on my Facebook or my WhatsApp status and you buy it. So um, what this means is that the data that is there could be much, much uh, bigger. Bigger, the scale yeah, of the people scale. who are buying and selling yes. goods online could be much yeah. larger, but because we don't have a way of capturing that data, yeah. we fall off the scope. Yes, but just to give the numbers, um, according to Statista Globally, the penetration stands at 54.1% in 2022. This is expected to hit 62.5% by 2025. Uh, locally, that is at 40.3% and it's projected to hit 53.6% uh, by 2025. Wow, that is quite big. Now, I wanted to ask another question. I think just for clarity, yeah. for those of us who are not involved in business, when you say B2B, you mean business to business. Yes. And when you say B2C, you mean business, <laughs> business to, to customer. customer. Yes, so to the end user. And Jim, there's just one other um, statistic that I'd like to put out. So over time, we've learned as an e-commerce consultant, anytime we do a training, um, we collect data. So I feel like uh, that's more accurate. So this was data collected over a small class of eight people. So out of the eight, um, the first question was, have you ever bought something online? Seven of the eight said yes, one said no. But now when you flip it and ask, have you sold something online? Then the figures change. So 50-50. 
So 50 had um, sold something online, 50 had not. So more people are buying than the ones who are actually selling. selling. And that tells you something. Yeah. I think um, we want to talk about e-commerce ecosystem. Mm-hmm. is set up on other things. So like the number of people who have cell phones, the number of people yes. who have access to internet usage, yes. and the number of people who are present on platforms that then people would engage in buying and selling. Yeah. So I think that the eight people, if they're representative yes. of the population of Kenya, so let's yeah. say that those eight people are 100% of Kenya, yeah. 90% of Kenyans mm-hmm. have access to some sort of internet. Yes. I mean, our mobile penetration statistics show that we have very high penetration yeah. within Kenya. And then they also have access to people who are selling goods to them mm-hmm. and then they are able to now buy those goods mm-hmm. so whether you're doing it on the internet in a regular manner on um, global platforms like Amazon or mm-hmm. eBay or I forget the one that does the Chinese one <laughs> Alibaba <laughs> Alibaba yes. or whether you're doing it locally yeah. I know there's a lot of um, sale of goods on Instagram on yeah. Facebook yeah. and on those social media platforms Gigi yeah. Jumuya mm-hmm. so whether you're buying it there then your ability to be able to reach them is dependent on whether you have a cell phone and you yeah. have internet access yes yes definitely what contribution does e-commerce make to our economy how significant is that contribution do we have any data on that data again <laughs> big challenge but we have evidence of what um, e-commerce is doing and it's, it's significant in the economy um, the first one of course for me and the biggest is the fact that it facilitates trade it is a trade enabler. There's always a debate on whether e-commerce is a business issue or it's a tech issue. So sometimes you wonder where should the portfolio fall? Should it fall under the Ministry of ICT or should it be in the Ministry of Trade? I always maintain that e-commerce is primarily a business issue. It is primarily a commerce issue, but with tech as a facilitator. So tech enables business. And so just like the other changes um, that tech has brought um, in business, then tech has enabled democratization of business opportunities. The cottage industry, I can make my mandazes in the house and post them online and sell to my estate mates. Yeah, that it has enabled trade for me in that regard. And then I always say nowadays it's not as hard to go global. Right. All you need to do is be on the Internet. I've had people who have gotten um, orders because they posted a nice um, woven something that they did online and they got a global order. And now the issue becomes shipping. And I'm sure we'll talk about challenges of e-commerce later. But really, um, its contribution to um, the economy is market access for businesses, job creation and ultimately putting money in people's pockets. So this is through earning profits in your business and, of course, job creations. There, There's a lot of job opportunities that are opening up in the e-commerce space. You've talked about enablers and tech being an enabler of e-commerce. And I want to talk about generally what is driving e-commerce? What is making e-commerce easier now? Uh, okay, so you had mentioned a few earlier, but I think I want to point out about six, seven issues that are key when it comes to in, um, e-commerce penetration or enabling e-commerce. Of course, the first one is internet penetration. And the figures you mentioned earlier, there's always a debate um, on it because data reportal, for example, puts it down to 42%. So I think as Kenyans, we always think it's at 80, 90%, but the reality of it, um, data apparently points to 42%. This also points to how data is measured. Yeah, um, and there are very many variables. Of course, then mobile penetration. Almost everybody out there now has a smartphone. It's really affordable for you to get a smartphone. So that is also another enabler. Um, social commerce. 
Yeah. So we are on Facebook, we are on Instagram, we are on TikTok, and we really jump onto it. Yeah. So I'm focusing on Kenya, but it's the same across the globe. Um, there's also fintech innovations in payments because then e-commerce will not be e-commerce if the transaction is not um, completed online or that is not enabled. And I know there's the debate for, okay, does it pass to be e-commerce if I do um, door delivery? Yeah. So pay on delivery, which is very common here. It does pass, but um, in the full scale of things, we are looking at uh, payments online. There's logistics as well. And you know, that is really big here, especially in, let's say, the food industry. It has really, really enabled that um, from players like Bolt, you know, Jumia Food and the rest, Uber Eats and the rest. Conducive regulatory environment, which is big. And here I'd like to mention the issue of a law playing catch up with tech or tech, you know, always. So which one <laughs> which goes, comes first? Which comes first? And I think yeah, the innovation <laughs> came. It's coming fast and it's keeping yeah. on growing. And law is having to play this catch up role. Yes. So we're trying to regulate and protect consumers, yeah. even as the consumers are innovating and exposing themselves more yes. and more. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. So you lawyers will always have to <laughs> catch up catch with up. us tech people. And then of course, just generally to wrap it up, it's uh, technological innovations. That is what is driving e-commerce. And now to the flip side, these are the things that are driving e-commerce and making e-commerce easier. What are the challenges? What are the things that are frustrating e-commerce, if I could call it that? All right. So I know we usually make it so rosy and say e-commerce will make you go global. You'll be able to access new markets. You will create jobs. But of course, it doesn't come without its own challenges. And um, from experience as a consultant and just working with MSMEs to get them online, number one really is technology knowledge and skills gap. There is a real technology knowledge and skills gap. I think on the buying side, like I said, it could be a bit easier. But now when you're trying to actually sell a good and grow your business online, it's one thing to just be lucky and sell one thing, but it's a whole science altogether for you to really scale that up. So there's a lot of need um, for training and capacity building in that space. The other one is lack of trust. Um, we always say that trust is a currency when it comes to being online. So if I don't trust you, I'll not buy. Actually, the number of people when we ask um, if you have bought something online and they say no, most of the time, if you ask why, it will be because I don't trust that I will get exactly what I've, I have ordered for. And of course, trust is linked to cybercrime. Um, I'm sure if you look at the numbers, it, it happens, um, including people getting hacked, uh, losing your accounts. I think Instagram was probably having a glitch uh, two days ago. I was looking at uh, an account for one of the businesses that we managed, and I just did a post and it just went blank. It says you can no longer access your account. And I panicked for a bit, but we managed to recover it. Yeah. And then there's privacy concerns um, because when you buy online, there's so much information that you have to give. I have to tell you my full names. I have to give you my phone number. I have to give you where I live. My credit card. Your credit card. Yeah. So there's privacy concerns as well. So that that brings a challenge. Um, delivery challenges. That's a big one here. I don't know why we've never gotten our national address system right, or I don't know why it's never just been completed. The project, I know it's ongoing, but it's never been completed. So we don't have a proper addressing system like other places. Um, so that becomes a challenge in terms of me getting my good to you. Right. And then there's also the security. What if now, because I'm yeah. able to um, regulate the couriers, yeah. is there, a, there could be a way that I could lose that mm. um, particular good that I've bought? Exactly. I've already paid the vendor, the vendor's yeah. given the courier, and then mm -hmm. somewhere there in between, my good gets lost. Yeah. And those are real stories. People have paid money and they never got, gotten um, what it is that uh, they ordered for. You know, you sent out something and the customer never paid because it's two way now. 
yeah either the customer doesn't pay or you know you you don't get your good delivered to you poor internet connections it's real and also the cost of data it's expensive yeah so it's one thing to say we have internet it's another thing to be able to afford internet tax challenges and i think this is a whole <laughs> podcast by itself in terms of digital taxation yeah there's lots of challenges in that area lots of gray areas so what applies when i'm selling online versus what applies That's when VAT i'm selling applied, offline then who will pay for the vat <laughs> yeah as a standard though i always say if we get the basics that it is good old commerce and um the internet is a platform you know um it's i'm putting my shop on the internet then i guess the rules will probably the same rules would apply it means i need to pay my taxes as much as i'm selling online the same way i'm selling offline so we need to factor those things in lack of proper regulations i think i mentioned that earlier so if then i buy a good from amazon and it comes here and it's not what i'd ordered does my the electronic receipt or the invoice that i got is it valid yeah so the validity of electronic documents is a big one as well cultural differences and language barrier because now we are talking global scale right so i'm online i want to order something and this has happened severally the person on the other side probably doesn't understand it's broken english there's that as well and then rate of change of technology oh my goodness we always have to catch up and when you think you have caught up there's something new coming up so you always have to keep learning I have a question. Yeah. Online platforms are coming up with ways to try and mitigate those challenges that they face, especially mm-hmm. when you have aggregators of suppliers. So for instance, Jumia, for instance, Alibaba, where the platform is trying mm-hmm. to enable e-commerce but they're mm-hmm. not particularly the seller. Mm-hmm. They are connecting buyers with vendors and they um have put up in place um preventative measures. Mm-hmm. So where an individual will order from a supplier, the good will be supplied, the payment will then be held in mm-hmm. abeyance mm-hmm. waiting for the mm-hmm. client to agree and say yes this is the good that i wanted are those measures applicable in kenya do we have a way in which small scale businesses can be able to protect themselves and mm-hmm. also clients can be able or consumers can be able to protect themselves as well using similar mechanisms yes there's a lot that's being done especially on the marketplaces like you say um they bunt their fingers i think oilx had to rebrand uh, because of that fraud and and all that it was really prevalent for them but the marketplaces have learned so there's things that that are introduced so for example if you check jumia you will see seller score yeah so that's like an aggregation of many things um in terms of out of stock uh, returns and refunds policies so those are things that i advise someone uh, for so on the business side it's important for you to have a return and refund policy so that it's very clear that if i buy a good and it's not what i wanted or how long do i have to you know raise an issue and get my money back if i need to get my money back or do i not get my money back and do i get you know a refund um do i get a return to return the the item instead or exchange the item so it's important to on one side to have a very clear return and refund policy and on the other hand for um the consumer there are things that you can look at yeah for example just when you log on to a site is it secure that's number one um i mean if it doesn't have the the lock sign and https then you know it's not a secure site so you need to make sure that your you know your site is secure and you're buying from credible people so there are measures that are being put into place uh for the big marketplaces it is mostly the vendor who will get penalized if for example they ship out what they were not supposed to ship out so then that weeds out any people who have ill intentions then eventually you remain with just credible people on the platform 
And that's good. That at least protects us to a small to a certain modicum. extent. Yes. I'd like to jump in a little bit and also talk about the leg- the regulations sorry, yeah. and the laws. Yeah. And in Kenya, I think the Kenya Information Communications Act 2009, which was amended in 2013, is the law that governs e-commerce transactions mm-hmm. in the country. And the law allows and recognizes for electronic contracts made by people engaging in digital transactions. And it establishes the Communications Authority of Kenya to regulate e-commerce mm-hmm. and protect customers. And specifically, the functions of the commission in relation to electronic transactions. Those include facilitating electronic transactions by ensuring that there's reliable electronic records. Mm -hmm. So I think that the CA is who we need to go to and talk (laughs) about the lack of availability of records. One of their functions is to eliminate barriers to electronic commerce. They are also to develop frameworks to minimize the incidence of forged electronic records and fraud in electronic commerce and other electronic transactions. However, something that we do notice that there's a lot of online transactions that happen, for instance, over um, um, social media networks that do not particularly fall under the classic definition of Mm e-commerce. And perhaps one of the things that we need to do is put in regulations that then incorporate those types of buying and selling transactions using using social media platforms. But we should note that the authority has done a lot of work in putting in protective mechanisms for the courier industry. And I think that's what enabled Mm -hmm. Uber, Bold to be able to get into e-commerce space. They've put in place um, regulations that talk about who is responsible for the delivery of items purchased online. Guidelines for courier operators are in place and these seek to ensure that there are high levels of professionalism in conveying goods to customers. So that's something that has happened. Yes. Are there any opportunities for e-commerce? What if someone wanted to get into the space? Are there any opportunities for e-commerce on the value chain? Lots, a lot. And I always say it remains a very big untapped um, area. Uh, Personally, as a firm, we've never quite advertised aggressively because we are trying to manage um, capacity as well. Um, because I don't think there's anyone that I've walked through and said, this is what we can do for you in the digital space that they said no. Right. So the appetite is there. The market is there. But when we look and but where is this opportunity? So when we look at the full um, e-commerce ecosystem or the cycle, it starts from, of course, sourcing of goods and services. That's where it starts. OK, I want to set up an e-commerce platform, maybe do drop shipping or something like that. Where do I get what to sell? So that creates a market in itself in terms of sourcing. And that's why there's a lot of goods coming in from the east, you know, and even Amazon. Um, so there's sourcing and then there's an the e-commerce platform. And each of these areas that I'm going to mention have their own opportunities. They can stand alone in terms of our subsector in the industry. So there's the e-commerce platform. So it's one thing that here we have the web developers and the web designers, the app developers. So people building platforms every other day and there are new platforms coming up every day. So huge opportunities for, uh, you know, coding is big. Our young people are getting to learn coding in just a few months. You can even self-teach yourself. So there's a lot of opportunity there. There's content creation. That is big content creators. I think we're seeing people cashing in right now just out of content creation. So there's a content creation from the influencer side. There's content creation from um, doing product descriptions and putting those up. And I think here I just want to focus as much as there's a business side. I want to focus on the job side because I don't know if we really talk about that a lot, especially for the young people, which is something that I'm really passionate about. So here we're talking about content writing. We're talking about photography. We're talking about videography, um, you know, putting up blogs and just because that is what drives 
e-commerce, we consume content. So content creation and management is big. There's marketing, yeah. So social media marketing, digital advertising, Facebook ads, Google ads. That's a whole sector and industry by itself. And then now when you come into the order cycle, because you've put up your good on a platform, you've created content for it, you've marketed, someone sees it, they want to order. So there's a whole process of order placement and order processing and delivery, which creates a lot of opportunities. And there's a lot of people. Yes, warehousing, packaging. Packaging, I've ordered something that's very delicate. How do we package that? Yeah, so that's a whole... There are people who are earning just by being at uh, um, the marketplace's drop-off points and they're making money out of packaging, right? Because you have to package it and deliver. So order placement, order processing, delivery. This sector has employed a lot of people and it still holds a lot of opportunities. And then there's payment processing, yeah? There's people earning good money out of the commissions just because of the online transactions as well. And then it doesn't stop there. There's after sales. There's a whole customer service. If you go to some of these marketplaces, you'd be surprised at how big their customer service sections are. Yeah, because and then there's a whole if the shoe comes to you and it is a brown one and you wanted a black one, the process of it coming back and processing that, that takes human intervention. And so those are jobs around that whole ecosystem. So the opportunities in e-commerce are big. It's big. And I think that everyone recognized the value not more than they did during the COVID-19 pandemic. Yes. You know, um, <laughs> before, if, if we had we were having this conversation in 2018, yes. the risks would have far outweighed the benefits of having online transactions. Yes. Yes. That At that point, we were so worried about the risk until we got to a point in 2020 and 2021 when we were unable to leave our houses to buy anything, even mm. just your vegetables. Mm-hmm. And suddenly, those um, innovative risk-taking companies that had online functional platforms Mm -hmm. made significant money. So let me ask in conclusion, the COVID-19 pandemic was like a pivotal moment in Mm e-commerce. What can businesses do to ensure that they are digitally ready so that were that God forsaken moment ever to happen again, Mm -hmm. businesses will not collapse as they did in 2020 and 2021 because they did not have online presence. I start by saying COVID was good for us. I don't know how that sounds, but it was good for us. It was good for e-commerce because previously, because we launched in 2018, it was more create and we did a lot of uh, forums. That's why we had the e-power forum to just create awareness around e-commerce and literally had to preach to people and say this thing. It's, it's, I feel like it was like Noah saying the flood is coming, guys. It's coming and no one is believing you or there was really no urgency because offline was working. right? And then unfortunately, um, then COVID hits and people shut down. But what I would say again is we shut down for just a bit and then we realized we have the tools. We have alternatives. We can do meetings virtually. We can order goods online. And then we discover, oh, this door is closed. There's another door that's actually open. Yeah. So going back to one of the challenges, which I said was um, knowledge and skills gap. And one of the programs that we ran during this time was the uh, e-commerce booster program in collaboration with the Kenya Private Sector Alliance, where we trained over 2,500 businesses to be able to trade online during the COVID uh, period. It was huge. Uh, the program was sponsored by EU um, through Trademark East Africa. So we had an opportunity to do capacity building there and we taught people how to you know, do their trade online. 
right? And so what we can, some of the things I would encourage businesses to do for them to get digitally ready is first, of course, have an open mind because sometimes that's that's the blocker. Someone says, I don't know how it works. When the reality is, you know how it works. You've probably done it. You just haven't realized that you posted a picture and someone bought something and that passes for e-commerce. And also you're already selling, like I said, so you know how to do it. So keep an open mind and then learn and learn and keep learning because it's a new space and it's changing every day. So there's no one who is an expert per se. Yeah, a lot of us are just learning on the job and innovating and and, and changing as, as we go. Experiment. Yeah. So someone who has started is better off than someone who has done nothing at all. There are some Facebook accounts that you look at now and their following is huge, but they only have that following because they started those days when it was the first days and the algorithms favored them then. Yes. Right. So they, they didn't had have, fast move advantage. They had fast move advantage. They didn't need to do anything. Yeah. For them to really grow. Um, so sometimes it's get on the bus and then learn as we go and then budget and give it the seriousness that it deserves. Because also sometimes you find businesses that really want to go big, but they don't want to spend. Digital won't work just because it's digital. There's no magic in it. You have to also put in the effort that is needed. But ultimately, the formula um, for success on the digital space is have a strategy, give it time and be consistent. Thank you. That brings us to the end of this episode. I'd like to thank my guest, Abigail Bundi, the CEO and founder of Amari Consulting Limited. Thank you so much for educating us on how e-commerce works in the Kenyan context. Thank you, Jen. Thank you for having me. I'm your host, Jean Kambuni, and we hope that you found this episode informative. Tell us what you like about it on email. Our email address is info at gvalawfirm.com. You can also follow Gikera and Van Gama Advocates on social media. You can find us on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook as GVA Law Firm. Thank you for joining us on the GVA Legal Podcast. Thank you.